0: Publishing for Profit Podcast is brought to you by Ghostwriters & Co. Earn more money by publishing better content. And learn how to increase your thought leadership so you can build your brand. Head over to Ghostwritersandco.com for more information. That's Ghostwritersandco.com. And now, your host, Joel Mark Harris. Hello, and welcome to the Publishing for Profit podcast. This is your host, Joel Mark Harris. Today, we talked to Marsha Layton turner She's a successful ghostwriter with over 50 books under her belt. She's written for countless magazines, including Forbes and Inc. We talked to her about what it takes to become a successful ghostwriter, her writing process, and my one of my favorite topics, which is content marketing and thought leadership. So hopefully you enjoy this episode. Hi, Marcia, and welcome to the Publishing for Profit podcast. How are you today?
1: Good, thanks. Thanks for having me, Joel.
0: You're very, very welcome. It's not often I interview a writer that I'm so impressed with. You know, you've written, I think it's like 50 books. You have like probably thousands of articles. Um, So I think that's very impressive. But you started off, in a very business setting, you got your MBA uh, and then you turned to writing. Why did you, why did you go that path? What, you know, what was the reason behind first going, you know, through like a very uh, long, uh, I guess, studious process of getting your MBA, having a successful uh, corporate career, and then going out on your own basically as a writer.
1: I'll try not to make this too long and boring, but um, for anybody who thinks that um, to be a writer, you have to have been thinking about this since your, your youth. I am here to tell you that's not <laughs> doesn't have to be the case. So I um, went to college and didn't really think of myself as a writer at all. In fact, I, I, I probably thought it was my weakest skill but I went to Wellesley College in, uh, just outside of Boston and we, for every class, had the option to either take a final exam or write a paper. And because I like control, <laughs> I always wrote the paper. So after seven semesters of writing papers, writing papers, writing papers, I, I had actually gotten pretty good at it, but I, I didn't know this at the time. I was very interested in business And so I went immediately to the University of Michigan to get my MBA. I was just fascinated with this whole concept. And it was there at Michigan, you know, in my first semester as they started assigning papers and I was getting A's and A pluses and I was astonished because I didn't think of myself as a writer. I I didn't know I had that capability or that I had developed it. And um, so I earned my MBA. Went to work at Kodak in marketing communications, where I learned about marketing tools like articles and press releases and case studies and the things that ghostwriters today write or writers write. Um, I left Kodak and started my own marketing agency, did marketing planning and PR, and it was there that I realized I don't really like the media placement side of things. Like I just want to write, and uh, again, you know. 10-15 years before I would never have thought of that as a potential career, but I um, had written a book for my dad who was a fine artist. It's called Successful Fine Art Marketing and so I knew that I could write um, and so I started pursuing opportunities to work directly with clients and then publisher, a publisher actually sought me out to work on a book uh, a book doctor is kind of what they called it. It was a manuscript that had been turned in that just wasn't in the, the shape that they wanted it to be in. And so I went through and rewrote a lot of it and they really appreciated my work. And so I started getting book contracts from there. And once I'd written a few books, I thought, you know, hey, maybe I'll write some articles. Like these editors are just gonna be so thrilled to find me someone who's written books. And as you can tell, by the way I'm explaining this, they, they could not have cared less because <laughs> I hadn't written articles. Mm-hmm. Like, they wanted somebody who was familiar with magazine article writing. And so it didn't take me very long to realize, Marsha, like, stop. You've got to learn this. Just like you figured out how to, how to do everything else. You've got to stop and study the process of writing for magazines. And so I did that. I learned how to pitch. I learned how to um, write articles, just how to, how to package them. And so then I started landing some magazine article assignments. And so since then, for the past like 15 or so years, 15, maybe 20, I've combined uh, writing books, ghostwriting and writing articles and now blog posts and content. So, sorry, really long answer. But again, key messages, you can do anything you want if you're willing to put in the time.
0: <laughs> so did you always want to be a writer at the back? It sounds like you you, it was never a... I guess, a, a path that you had ever really considered? Because I know a lot of writers are like, oh, um, I want to be a writer, but I don't think I can make any money. And so they go off to do the traditional career. Um, but always in the back of their mind, they've always wanted to be a writer. Was that you or was you were did you have no idea that this was a possibility?
1: no. Uh, a few years ago, I started thinking back to, did I ever have any aspirations to be a writer? And I do remember when I was around 10, writing up some like princess stories for my family and illustrating them. Since my dad was an artist, I was really into more of the drawing the pictures, uh, the illustration part of it, than the writing the stories. But I do remember that. Um, but I must have sort of pushed that aside because through high school, um, English was, was hard. It was, um, I mean, it wasn't quite torture, but like when you're asked to compare and contrast the Pearl and Lord of the Flies, (laughs) I did not enjoy that. And so I think because I didn't enjoy it, and I I would get B, B plus pretty, you know, regularly. So I wasn't a bad writer, but it was not something that I ever thought I could be good at. And whatever I did, I I wanted to be good at it. So I kind of, I, I never saw myself as a writer. And again, then through Wellesley, learning the skills, figuring out how to put arguments together, how to string sentences together. But it wasn't until grad school that I, I realized that I had developed that skill and that I, that I could do it.
0: Interesting. Did you, have you always enjoyed the marketing, I guess, communication side of, of and it sounds like you know you're yeah. heavy into the, that. So is that something that you've always enjoyed?
1: Yes. I, I think because my dad was sort of an entrepreneur in his own right, he was an artist, independent worker. So he had to go out and find the clients and do the work and collect the payment. Just, just like we do as writers. So I was sort of familiar with that model of working and wanted to learn how I could, do, I, I didn't think I was good enough to be an artist, but I thought, how can I do this for myself? So I think in many ways I, I saw myself as a freelancer or as a consultant from an early age rather than a writer. And I just so happened to apply that business model to writing. But yes, when I went to Michigan, I studied marketing and corporate strategy, just wanting to know how, how do we package products? How do we come mm. up with products? You know, what is that process? And yeah.
0: And what sort of art did your dad do?
1: He was mainly a painter, oil and watercolor. Um, if you, I don't know if you're at all familiar with Andrew Wyeth. No. He was a, he was a painter who did, his, his probably most famous painting is one of Christina's World. It's a woman on a hill and she's like climbing up the hill to the house. Um, so he and my dad were best friends. My dad studied under him. So his, his works are landscape, seascape. Um, realist paintings, and he worked very slowly. So his work was really good, very slow. So um, he kind of taught me that you don't have to fill your days with 100 writing projects that, you know, just kind of cherry pick the ones mm-hmm. that are going to be a good fit for you.
0: And and do a good job for them, I'm assuming.
1: Exactly, and then you'll have repeat clients. He had a lot of repeat clients. Okay, good. Uh,
0: so switching a little bit. Um, so fast forwarding, you're doing a lot of ghostwriting. Why should a business, an entrepreneur, hire a ghostwriter? And what's the value in
1: that? Sure. Well, let me tell a quick story about my, my first official ghostwriting project. Um, an author had a contract for their book, and they were seven months behind in delivering it. And the publisher knew that they were going to because They had so many pre-orders for it so the they paired me with this author all their notes and their outline and we worked together over a period of i think it was like two months to get this book done and so at the end of it i had my parent and he had a book that I think might have hit bestseller status because there were so many he was sort of a celebrity in his industry um, so I think the advantage to him is probably the advantage to most, you know, h- hiring a ghost writer makes a lot of for aspiring authors who don't have the time, the skill or the interest really to devote weeks or months of their days to writing a book that most of my clients are very, very intelligent people, but they work quickly. They They want stuff done like tomorrow, like most <laughs> entrepreneurs. Their, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And no. they don't want to shut down their business or put their business on hold for a few months while they write a book. So, by hiring a ghostwriter, they can continue to do what they're experts in, and yet at the end of the process, have this product that they can use to market themselves, market their company, or establish themselves as experts in their field. So, it's really if and many of my clients could do it, like they have the skill to at least put a draft together, but they they just don't want to. Mm-hmm. You know, many people don't like writing, and so a ghostwriter, once they know that we exist, I think, it's um, you know, it's it's a very exciting time because they realize, oh, I can get a book, and I don't have to slave over it. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's kind of. Yeah, so I most of my clients feel a great sense of relief when we start working together because they realize we could spend like an hour or two a week, and then they can get back to what they love, and I go away and draft their chapters.
0: Perfect. Uh, so you were mentioning that your first um, client had a lot of pre-sales, um, and you know could have gone on or did go on as a bestseller. Do you see that happening? Uh, as much today, where uh, a lot of books are pre-sold, or is that a lot more difficult with, uh, I guess, um, I guess Amazon and Kindle and all this, you know, so many uh, books are being published. Uh, they're all being self-published. So is that is that still, you know, selling those or pre-selling those rights and selling those copies? Is that still uh, a thing these days?
1: I definitely think. It's a possibility, but it really depends on the size of your list or your followers. If you're a first time author who's been blogging or has a great Instagram follower list or you know, a, a company that's been around forever and has an established customer base, I think it's much easier to sell to that crowd because they already wanna hear from you. And so if you announce that you're gonna be publishing a book and maybe send people to a landing page to be notified when the book is available, yes you can do a lot of pre-orders. I I think it's easier today to set up that pre-order sort of funnel Mm. for people. Um, I think it is harder for first-time authors if they don't have that built-in customer base though. If someone suddenly had an idea to write a book and they aspire to be on the New York Times bestseller list I don't want to say that it's an impossibility, but there really needs to be a whole bunch of marketing done. I think even before you finish the book Mm. to establish yourself as an expert in your field, to start attracting your audience to you so that when the book comes out, they're excited to hear whatever you have to say on on the topic.
0: So if somebody has a I guess, a list already. They have customers. Would you recommend that they do a traditional publishing route or can they skip that and just go straight to Amazon?
1: That is a good question. Uh, It kind of depends on on why they're writing the book, I think. Mm. Some clients want a book as a marketing tool, you know, for, for themselves or for their company. And so they're not really expecting to make money from the actual sale of the book. Like they don't want to lose money necessarily, but they're using it as a way to attract clients to their company. So yeah. So they're going to make money from that additional business. The traditional contracts generally are not um, today. That is they, have very small advances, like I may, I'm hearing, like four to five thousand dollars is pretty typical for a first first-time author advance, and then they're going to earn about a dollar a book for more royalties. Um, the advances is, is an advance against royalties, so if you're given five thousand dollars as an advance, until you earn that five thousand dollars from the sale of your first five thousand books, you don't get any more money. But once that five thousand dollars is earned out, then you'll get a dollar per book as long as the book is in print. Um, For people who want to make money from the book, you you really do have to have an audience because selling 10,000 copies of a book, that's kind of the goal that most publishing houses have. They want to make sure you could sell at least 10,000. If you have no list whatsoever, it's going to be really hard to do. And it's going to be really hard to interest a traditional publisher in working with you. Mm -hmm. But if you self publish, then you can make a lot more than a dollar per book. And there is the possibility to actually earn an income from it.
0: So it sounds like the key really is to build that audience before you start writing that book or before you hire a ghostwriter or during the process. So basically, I guess, as early as possible. Can you give me some um, takeaways, some um, things that somebody can do who hasn't started that process and what can they do to build that audience?
1: Sure. When I start working with clients who are working on their first first book, um, I always recommend that if they're not already blogging, to start blogging. So if they're, now most of my clients are entrepreneurs, business owners, and CEOs. So they have control of their company's kind of marketing activities. So I make sure that they have a website for themselves or for their company start blogging because it's very simple to add a blog to a website and it's free to do, or you can hand that off to a ghostwriter as well. Just come up with the topics that you want to, that you want to talk about Mm -hmm. or that you think your audience is interested in. Um, I would set up a landing page. Once you have the book idea pretty well fleshed out and you can get a cover done, put a landing page up with the title of your book as the URL and provide some, some information and ask for people's email addresses so that you can get back in touch when the book is available. Um, try to get on podcasts. Try to write guest blog posts. You know, Look for those kinds of opportunities. If you can do public speaking, that's great. And in every case, when you're making contact with your potential audience, mention I have a forthcoming book or my book is due out in the fall of 2020. If you know the title, mention that too. So just start kind of educating your market that you have this book coming out and uh, if, if you write a newsletter, an e-newsletter, m- start mentioning it there. Um, there are a lot of things you can do, very low cost, just to start spreading the word. That's, that's what you want to do.
0: So it sounds like you have to do a lot of content marketing uh, for, I guess, even before you start, your, your, like, I guess, selling your book or, or pre-sales. How, like, is there, I guess, part from, uh, part from what you just mentioned, is there any other sort of content marketing, um, I guess, things that you would recommend to your clients? Um, and how do you think, maybe this is a two-part question, but like, how do you think that somebody should go about thinking about content marketing? Hmm.
1: Okay. So the first part of the question is how, how to start. Yeah. Um, well, I think content marketing, though really it doesn't, doesn't have to be part of your marketing plan for your book. It, it makes the most sense because there's such demand right now for content, for information, whether it's in the form of videos, which are just, everybody's watching videos <laughs> or blog posts or articles or white papers or case studies. You know, people want this information. So if you can provide it, you're going to be and on a regular basis, you're going to be top of mind and you're going to be more likely to interest people in your book down the line. And the more, the more you grow your list or you establish this list of people who are interested in you, the easier it's going to be to convert them into sales. It's sort of a, you got to find who they are, Communicate with them and then if they like you then when you tell them about, about your book They're gonna be more likely to spend the money um, The best way to get started with that is really to create uh, an editorial Account which is thinking about how often you're going to be blogging let's say because that's kind of the easiest thing Are you gonna be blogging weekly? Which is probably the minimum frequency that I would say is is useful if you're not gonna be able to do it weekly then it's gonna be difficult for you to stay top of mind because you're gonna provide something and people are gonna be excited to read it and then you're gonna go away and after two or three weeks, they're gonna forget that they ever read this initial piece of content from you. So come up with a weekly schedule of all the topics that you think your audience is interested in, break it down into five to 800 word blog post topics. So you may have one topic that could result in three different blog posts, for example, but have your plan um i like to write several blog posts at once um it's just so that you're not constantly have to think about it if you're somebody who doesn't like to write then it is better to just you know do a whole month at a time
0: mm.
1: it'll take you less time
0: mm-hmm. nice and um if i can ask get kind of really deep on this because this really interests me but um so how would you plan out the the content calendar would you use something like google docs or is there a better tool that you can actually see where the content is and what would somebody who is i guess thinking about starting what sort of topics maybe can they start out with
1: I don't think that you need a really complex structure for your editorial calendar. You can set up a spreadsheet. I love Excel. Cause mm. I think it just makes things so neat in, you know, all the little columns and things. So you could set up a Google spreadsheet or just your own Excel spreadsheet. And one column is uh, the dates, you know, decide what date you're going to be sharing your, your posts and you can pre-schedule them. Uh, I would recommend between Tuesday and Thursday, as the date that you're gonna be blogging. So I'd have your dates down on the left-hand side of the page. And then I'd have um, the topics that you think may be of interest. If you are hoping to involve other people and get some guest blog posts, you can also identify maybe another column for guest experts that are gonna provide that content that's a great idea because then you're tapping into their audiences you know they if they write for you they're probably going to share it with their audience Mm -hmm. so if you write three blog posts a month and have a guest that's a great way to really spread your message beyond just your audience but yeah simple excel spreadsheet identify date topic who's writing it if you want to keep track of where it is in the process you could have um, a column for like drafted where you just check Like, yes, I've drafted that. Um, Maybe final edit. Um, You could have a column for the image that you're gonna use with it. so if you do a little image research on Pexels or Pixabay, which is where I usually go, you could then have a link to that to remind yourself, oh, I've already thought about this. (laughs) I already have my image ready to go. Um, And then once you have all that done, you can go into WordPress and and pre-schedule it. Like I said, you could do a month at a time. Nice.
0: For people who want to start ghostwriting and who um, just not sure where to start, what would you recommend uh, they do?
1: Well, I think if you are interested in ghostwriting, you really need to advance before you jump into this. You- I would never recommend that somebody coming right out of journalism school or who's making a career change from accounting that they suddenly jump into ghostwriting as their first step. It's, It's almost impossible to do. I won't say it is impossible, but it's really, really more difficult. So the first thing you should do is get writing experience, writing the kinds of things that you want to write for other people. So if you want to be a ghost blogger, start blogging for yourself and then get some clients If you want to write um, magazine articles, some clients hire ghostwriters to write trade magazine articles, for example. So go out and get that experience. Then once you have your own body of work, and and if you want to be ghostwriting books, at least write a book for yourself. So you can show that you can write at that length. And then the next step is to get experience writing in someone else's voice. Because for me, that's the difference between being an author and being a ghostwriter. A lot of people can write books in their area of expertise. But they can't necessarily translate that to somebody else's voice. And so you need to demonstrate that you can do that. Um, And there are online websites like Upwork has very low budget projects, I think, but you could get ghostwriting experience that way. And for anybody who's starting out in ghostwriting who wants to write books, I always recommend that you discount your first project in order to get it. I, I don't, that may sound like bad advice or some of my colleagues may be getting mad at me for <laughs> suggesting that you accept less. Because I always want everybody to make as much money as possible. But the reality is that that first book project is your barrier to entry. If you set your, your rates too high, you're never going to get over that barrier. So be willing to do that first one for less, just to have it because once you have that first book and you've demonstrated that you can write at that length, a book length work in somebody else's voice and style and have it be publishable. Like now you can show other potential clients. Yes, I've done this. I know how to do this. So yeah, be, be willing to negotiate for that first project. Yes.
0: Um, I think for me, the the most difficult part is getting the voice and tone of somebody else. Yeah. Um, how is there any tips that you could recommend um, that somebody can do to practice that and writing in different? Yeah, like somebody else's style.
1: Yeah. No, you're right. That's that's really the hardest thing, and that's why not everybody has the skills to be a ghostwriter. They could be an excellent writer. But if they only write in their voice and their style, then um, unless your client also wants their book written in that style, it's, it's hard to make the transition. Um, I can only tell you what I do when I'm writing for a client. I um, try and gather many writing samples. If, if they've been doing their own writing, let's say, you know what articles have they written? If they have books that they've written, read those. Um, blog posts, any, any samples to see what are the words that they use? You know, wh- what sort of sentence structure do they prefer? Are they, um, do they have lots of run-on sentences, for example? Or do they have very short, crisp sentences? Or do they mix it up? Um, do they start a lot of paragraphs with questions and then answer them? You know, what's, what does that look like? Then I also try and watch videos to see if they make presentations or have done any kind of talks to see, okay, how do they speak? Because typically the way someone speaks is related to how they write. not not always, as I discovered with one client who wanted to sound different than they actually did, <laughs> usually. Was if that a he, conscious
0: he, choice on their behalf? Yes.
1: Oh, yes. And I only discovered it after. So we I had watched a lot of videos. I had, I had read his work and had written things that I thought sounded exactly like him. And he didn't really like it. And so I, I pressed to understand. To tell me exactly, like, what, where does it not sound like you? And he had to admit that well, it, it sounded like me, but I don't really like it. I want to sound more <laughs> like this, you know, sort of like
0: interesting option. Okay.
1: You know, option C that I could not have imagined. Foreseen. Yeah, yeah, it, it wasn't a bad thing. It was just um, more scholarly, and uh, that wasn't how he sounded in video or on prints. And and so we we figured it out. But that's like the only time where mm-hmm. there wasn't this link between existing materials and and what they wanted their voice to be.
0: And, okay. So can you tell me a little bit about your writing process? Like when do you like to write? When do you feel the most creative?
1: Mm. I think there's this notion that writers are suddenly hit by these, like this lightning bolt and suddenly they're super powered and they can write. And I, I just, it doesn't happen for me. <laughs> I find that my own <clears throat> sort of biorhythms dictate when I'm, I'm best able to write or when I'm able to focus and, um, and it comes more easily. And that for me is like late morning into the afternoon. So I try and protect that time for just the, the harder work, the more cerebral work where I have to really think about what is my client trying to say? How am I going to make this transition? Um, but I, I don't just sit here waiting for the lightning bolt to strike. I, I start writing. And if I have trouble, I really like to get the first sentence, like the lead, the setup for the chapter or for the article or whatever. I like to really get to a point where I'm, I'm happy with it. And sometimes I get stuck when I can't get the perfect lead. And I've had to force myself to just go ahead and just, okay, Marsha, skip it, and just move on to the rest of whatever you're working on. And and we'll circle back to that. And usually when I do, then I can, I figure it out later. But you you, you can't just sit there waiting to be inspired. You have to force yourself to put sentences together and then accept the fact that you're gonna have to go back and edit it later. I tend to edit as I work, but sometimes that just, you know, you have a deadline clients waiting for the for the project you have to make progress
0: that's i think that's the mark of the true professional right the person who pushes through that and doesn't just wait for the muse to to strike do you
1: yeah i don't think you can unless you're a novelist who's working on their own like pet project if you have clients waiting for work
0: gotta (laughs) get it done yeah you gotta get it done um so do you, do you have a dedicated writing space? Do you have a desk, an office? How do, how do you like to work the most?
1: I have a home office with a fireplace. Mm. that is awesome from like August to June because <laughs> here in Rochester, it's cold. <laughs> um, I face out into my lawn. So I have a nice view of animals strolling by. I can close my doors so that I have a quiet space. I have a very big monitor and I am most productive when I'm sitting at my desk. I know colleagues who go to you know coffee shops or they'll move to somewhere else in their house to work and for whatever reason I I just I need to be sitting in front of my desktop to work.
0: All right, so I'm going to move on from writing to thought leadership. Um, okay. I think that a lot of what ghostwriters provide uh, is assistance in helping that entrepreneur, that business person with their thought leadership. Mm-hmm. Why, why is that important? And how should entrepreneurs think about thought leadership? Well,
1: I think thought leadership here in the 21st century is really the equivalent of being seen as an expert. That's what everybody used to wanna to be is the expert, the person who you know, wrote the book on whatever the topic was. So if you are the thought leader or the expert, you are at the top of your profession typically, or one of the leaders of your profession, you are shaping how other people think about whatever your topic area is. Um, one of the best ways to do that then is to create content that shapes how people think. I mean, that's really through conversation, through speeches, through articles and books. That's how someone demonstrates that they are a thought leader by sharing content that is, that hasn't been seen before, that hasn't been read before, that affects how someone thinks about something. That's That's really what a thought leader is. And I think people wanna be thought leaders because you can generally charge more for your products and services if you are the leader. If if you are the person who's synonymous with some industry or idea, then clients typically will pay more for access to you, whether that's through a presentation you make or uh, consulting work that you do with them. Or a project that you work on with them, if you are the person that they pay a premium for that.
0: And one of the things I always think about, and maybe maybe this is just me, I don't know, but uh, I'll 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 put this nugget out there: is um, everything almost everything can be outsourced, right? It can be outsourced to you know different countries. Um, different people, and so I think of thought leader as you know it, it gives you that kind of unique selling proposition right where um those those strategies those those that way of thinking can 't be um, duplicated right? right and so do you do you ever advocate that for your clients and do do your clients ever think about it in that way, maybe?
1: Think about um positioning themselves as a thought yeah. leader order- and yeah. um I, I I totally agree with you that thought leadership is a way to sort of create a competitive a competitive advantage for yourself. Um I think most of my clients know, uh, understand that, Mm. that being seen as the leader is going to be advantageous to their business. Um, A few of my clients, I don't want to say they're not outsourcing, but although companies outsource a lot of tasks, I think sometimes individuals don't realize the extent to which they can outsource things like writing. Um so I I think they're they're not as aware of the services that they could be relying on.
0: Mm. So you don't need to to pitch them that thought leadership is something that they should be uh seeking. They they realize the value of being seen as a leader and um they they understand that. I guess that's why they engage you, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. The people Mm -hmm. who come to me, like I said, they're the CEOs, the um, consultants, entrepreneurs, business owners. they, they understand that they want to be thought leaders. And I think they, in some cases, have been trying to find a way to do that without having to invest 80 hours a week of their own time to hit that level. And so, so once they discover that, Oh, there's someone who can do kind of the hard work, I had this idea and I had this person that I can then turn over my ideas and my thoughts and they'll package it in a really effective way. You know, they're sold. Mm. I, I really don't have to explain the advantage because they come understanding that. Do your, do your clients um, have to be, have to be sold on the concept of thought leadership?
0: Some of them Some of them do, I think, but I think you're right. Most of them are, they're aware of the advantage. They're just not sure how to go about it, I think, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, How often do you, um, I guess, strategize with your clients? Because you have such this amazing background in in marketing and, you know, all this um, MBA and so do you, how often do you bring that to the table and work with the client to form a message? And how much of it is it just like they know what they want to say, they just give it to you, over to you, and then you communicate that?
1: Well, I think a lot of the initial conversations that I have with clients have a marketing component. You know, we'll be talking about what their book might look like, and they typically come with an idea of what they want to say. And, and, and why, you know, that they want to market their business, for example, and who they're talking to. So they know that. But we'll start talking about kinds of the things that you've already asked about, you know, what, what can I do today to start marketing myself? Mm -hmm. Because I'm an unknown. And um, by the time my book comes out, I want to be pretty well known or associated with this topic. So we'll brainstorm during those initial conversations about setting up the blog and looking for podcast opportunities and things like that. And so that's sort of a parallel process that they can get started on while I'm working on putting together their book. So we have it early on. I'll check in with them as we're writing to make sure, you know, hey, you have your cover done. Have you put that up on the landing page yet? So I offer ideas, mm. but I am typically not responsible for that because I'm I'm really focused on the book. Like I, I could, I think most ghost writers could also be writing blog posts and articles for clients. And I suspect many are. That's just typically with the people I'm working with, they have a team for that, like a PR team that could be doing the article right. writing and stuff. So I'm just working on the book, but I'm throwing out ideas from my marketing experience. And I think For me, that's probably why some of my clients choose me because I have that marketing background. Um, Just, just to guess. And I like using it. Like I like getting value from my MBA (laughs) that I work so hard on. So I'm excited (laughs) to just throw out ideas here and there.
0: I'm sure that you have a lot of interesting stories as a ghostwriter, probably a lot that you can't uh, repeat, but is there something that particularly sticks out in your mind uh, during your ghostwriting career?
1: Hmm. Um, I, I, I love what I do because it gives me the chance to just learn from experts in the field on a regular basis. So I'm always learning something new. I don't really have any horror stories.
0: That's good. Um, That's a good thing.
1: Yeah. Kind of try and nip that in the bud. Um, I had one kind of funny project. Well, not funny. It was, it was a very interesting project about probably five years ago and started working with the client who was super friendly, super nice, very articulate. It was like the dream project. Those are the kinds of clients I like. And we started working together we figured out the outline and we began uh, talking through chapter one and the client was trying to secure someone to write the forward for the book and so over the first couple weeks um we kind of were working slowly because they were trying to get this person lined up so they got the person lined up for the forward and that's kind of when things went awry <laughs> so uh let's say the book was going to be about marketing and the person writing the foreword had a lot of say in the direction that the book was taking oh interesting okay um not exactly sure why but within a couple of weeks the book had pivoted from being a book about marketing to a book about let's say baseball <laughs> that's very so, interesting so <laughs> um Joel, you probably don't know this about me, but I'm not really a sports fanatic and I know nothing about baseball. So <laughs> I had to back away quickly from that one. And and I did, and it was not like there wasn't any problem. But that was the first time, really the only time, I think, where I've started down one path with a client and it totally went off in another direction. And you know, I backed away and and removed myself from the project just because I was not the best fit. And that's something that I think ghostwriters are are pretty good about you know knowing about themselves like what what are their strong suits and what are their weaknesses and sports that's my weakness so I would never take on a sports book um for that reason so that's one that was memorable just because it was kind of odd mm-hmm. um yeah most of my projects are with just just great people yeah. and I always feel good at the end about the product, and um, yeah, I always learn something uh, new, which is Yeah, that's a,
0: good, that's a good thing, I think, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you meet a lot of interesting, very successful people, and I'm sure, yeah, it, yeah. it must be very um, fascinating and uh, satisfying to, to work close and see kind of like what's made them successful and, and what, uh, I guess, drives them
1: Exactly. Now, when I work with clients, I don't know about you, but I work virtually. So I work with clients, you know, all around the world and we meet generally by phone or by video and we talk through all the material that way. So I'm not actually sitting next to someone and working on the book. Some people do that. And I think that's probably a good way to work if you're writing um, a very sensitive memoir, for example, but for business books, um really not an issue to so so most of my clients I never meet is kind mm-hmm. of what i 'm getting to yeah. i I don't actually get once in a while um but not not usually
0: yeah 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 can we talk a little bit about pitching um obviously you've i i mean just your website you you've written for basically all the top uh, magazines and uh and Um, you know a lot of articles what goes into a successful pitch
1: to a pitch to land and like a magazine assignment for example Hmm. Um, I think part well that answer depends on what the magazine wants Mm. Um, the reason I say that is that some magazines want almost the article pre-written. They want to know uh, who you're going to interview, what the angle is on the topic, how long it's going to be, uh, how many different anecdotes. Like They really want a fully fleshed out pitch. Others just want the general gist of things. And some of that depends on whether you've worked with the editor before. I have some editors where I'll say, hey, I just saw this. What do you think about an article on that? And that's enough. Yeah, Mm -hmm. go for it. Yeah, you know, give me a thousand words. Okay, great. But if you haven't worked with someone before, I'm kind of thinking back. When I pitched Women's Day magazine, for example, I did not have any national consumer magazine credits to my name. But I had heard that the editor at the time was open to pitches from writers if they had a really timely idea, and I thought, well, you know, can't hurt. So I found, you know, found the correct person. Addressed her by name, which is important. Uh, If you're sending a pitch into just an editor at bignamemagazine.com, it's less likely that you're going to be given serious consideration because most professional writers have contacts and they have a person's name and email address. So you'll kind of set yourself apart if you use that information or uncover that information
0: which is so easy to do these days with linkedin with social media it's it's really it shouldn't be an issue these days but yeah
1: right but it is easy i agree with you but some people don't take that step and if you don't it just shows that your research skills are i don't want to say lacking but you weren't willing to go to take that extra step to find the contact information so have that um hit them with A very strong lead whether it's what I did was I wrote the first couple paragraphs of the article as I wanted it to run so they could get a sense of how are you going to approach it what's the title that you're proposing that's an important thing to include and uh, how long is it going to be how many experts are you going to include so generally a, a solid pitch I would say is like five to six paragraphs long the last thing in there is why you're the person to write this article. Um again, I would never pitch an article on baseball or sports because I have no credibility whatsoever on the topic. But if I were pitching something um, in the case of Women's Day, it was about saving money at the grocery store. I um have been an extreme couponer. I'm not an ex- extreme couponer <laughs> now, but at a time ta- at one time I was really good at finding the deals. And so I played that out. You know, I've been to the grocery store and bought $200 worth of food for $5 or something. So that, I think, caught the editor's eye that I proved that I knew what I was talking about. I had written for other publications at the time, just not on a national level. And so she gave me a shot. So I think that's, and, and I don't think I'm that unusual, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend that anyone start at the national level, start as I did at the local level. I wrote for a local business journal, then went up to regional business journals, and then I went to regional consumer publications. I wrote for, I think it was New England Bride. So then finally I had kind of a crossover into the consumer, and then I just kind of kept moving up till I got to the national level, which is sort I have to show that you can write for um, the publications in your industry. If you're trying to get into a big business publication, you might try pitching uh, trade journals, national trade journals, and get some clips that way. Because most editors want to see them. I, I got very, very lucky that Woman's Day was willing to give me a shot. That's that's kind of unusual.
0: All right, I'm going to ask this, because I asked this question to all my guests, and I know you were a little bit hesitant, but I think I'm going to ask it, and, and I think that, um, you, you have a good answer. So here it goes.
1: (laughs) I'm bracing for it. Okay.
0: (laughs) So, um, books. So obviously, um, you know, this, this podcast is about publishing. It's about content marketing. Um, but I'm always curious to know what books, um, people read and, and what influences they have and, how they make their choices so is there a book that you have read that really inspired you or maybe um, just pushed you in a different direction what is there is there a book that you would go back to and reread
1: um, yes I mean I, I read a lot of books I read a lot of nonfiction. really just trying to take away, you know, one, one thing, one new idea, one approach, one source, whatever it is. Um, so when you told me you were gonna ask me this question, I was initially worried because so many ideas kind of blend together in my brain. Uh, but Then I thought back to early in my career when I was working at Kodak and thinking of going out on my own and not really sure that, um, that I could do it. I was just nervous. And so I read a book called Making a Living Without a Job by Barbara Winter. And this was this was probably 20 years ago, uh, but it is still in print. And it really inspired me to think differently about my career. You know, I had gone from MBA training into a corporate job nine to five or eight to five. And Um, I knew that I didn't really want to keep doing that, but I wasn't sure what was possible. So this book talked about how Barbara sort of strung together several different income streams. And I can tell you exactly what they were, because to me, it was just the concept that I don't have to have an eight to five job. I could have um, income coming from writing, income coming from mystery shopping, income coming from... Um, you know, a part-time job somewhere. But just the idea that you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket and find one job that's going to give you 100% of your income. You could find three jobs or or gigs or assignments or things like that. And so it really changed the way I approached my career and I think gave me just the sense that I could do it. And I've since sent it to um, a few people that I know who are thinking about the next stage of their careers and wondering what's next for me. And I'm like, don't worry, you don't have to get a full-time job. Read this book.
0: <laughs> I think now with the, with COVID-19, that where, if you have a single income, you, well, it's very dangerous, right? So I think <laughs> that now is a perfect time to think about those multiple streams of income, to think about, you know, the content in that book, for sure. So I think it's, it's probably very timely to be sending that out to more people right about yeah. now. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, and I remember when I left my job, um, people were so nervous for me, you know, oh, aren't you worried? Isn't it risky? And uh, I don't know if you all know what happened to Kodak, but their communications department shifted. It had exactly. 330 people when I was there. And I think it got down to like 10. Well, those 10 people were doing the work of 330. Like that's risky. <laughs> so really it's it's not risky to have five income streams versus one. If one goes away, you've only lost 20%. If, if you have one job and you lose it, you, yeah. That's You're in risky. trouble. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I think I see that's, that's a good example for sure, because I'm sure it seemed risky at the time, but now looking back at it, it was definitely a very smart, smart move to, to go out on, on your own for sure. Um, I think, yeah, I think that is it. Is there, oh yeah, there was, Um, so you, you, you read and write a lot of business books. Is there any other business books that you would recommend or, or even little chunks of, of business books Mm -hmm. that you would recommend?
1: When I was starting out, uh, Paul and Sarah Edwards were big names in working from home. And this was when it was kind of unusual. And I read a number of their books and found them really helpful for people who are just starting out to, um, how to think about working from home and being productive and establishing a routine and becoming disciplined and marketing on a budget like they have a number of books that were really helpful for that so i enjoyed those and jay conrad levinson who really coined the phrase guerrilla marketing he has some great books on grassroots marketing that i think are really helpful for for anyone really writers ghost writers anyone out in the business world i think they're just some some ideas that are still useful today, and and they were written pre-internet, so, but a a lot of the concepts are still there, and I think really helpful, so that's what I I like, I just, I like reading, and then taking an idea, and thinking, how can I apply that today, whether it's a really old idea, or an idea from a different industry, um, just, but just trying to think, how, how might I use this,
0: all right, Marcia, I think we will leave it there. Thank you so much for being on the show and for taking the time. for my people <laughs> For people who want to reach out to you, who want to hire you, or maybe just want to learn a little bit more about you, where can they find you?
1: Uh, I have a website that is my name, marcialaytonturner.com. And for ghostwriters who want to learn more or clients who are looking for a ghostwriter, you can also go to associationofghostwriters.org. We have a form there that will help you connect with a potential ghostwriter who's a good fit.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Marcia.
1: Thank you. Bye for now. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to Publishing for Profit. Please like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.